today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son and the Father. The Spirit empowers the Son so that the Son glorifies the Father. Each member of the Trinity is full of self-giving love toward one another. So if we are to reflect God, it means that differing roles somehow in God's design better reflect Him. And when we better reflect Him, we better live our marriages and our lives in an upward, God-glorifying orientation. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty God instituted marriage as a picture of the union between Christ and the church. Christ demonstrated his love toward us by leaving his throne of divinity in heaven to come down to this dark world, to die on a cross to save us from our sin and to give us gifts by his spirit. What amazing, unconditional, sacrificial love the Lord has for the church. This is the kind of love that Paul exhorts us as believers to have toward our spouses. How are you shaping up? Do you love like Jesus loves you? Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21, for our continuing study entitled, Married in Christ. Paul is saying that this picture is the point of your marriage, of every marriage. And the reason, one of the key reasons Paul is so concerned about marriage is not first how we're relating to one another, but that marriage itself glorifies God. So when we look at this upward trajectory, we see the Lord's purpose for marriage and it changes the way that we think about marriage. I mean, think about this. What if we had an evangelism, evangelism initiative as a church? And this would be our plan to get the story of the gospel of what Jesus has done into every city in America. And actually not just every city, but to, to every neighborhood in America, to every group of children in the neighborhood, to, to reach the lost in every apartment complex, every block, every city street. And, and we announce we've got an initiative that's gonna get the gospel in front of every single person in America. I mean, I'm sure we could raise some money for that, right? We could get fired up about that. Like, yes, we're going to do this. What Paul is saying is that that picture is biblical marriage and that it's embedded on every block and every city street and everywhere there's meant to be a couple living out this picture. I mean, imagine if you could with an unbelieving family member, get the gospel to them week after week after week. You would love to do that. Well, your marriage is that. And, and that picture, that purpose of God is part of the upward trajectory of marriage. That when we see that that's the purpose of marriage, it makes us go, yes, Lord, I want to glorify you and I want to fulfill my role in this marriage because I love you. Because this is a precious picture of what you have done. We should first care about marriage because we care about God God has embedded a picture of himself and his relationship to the church, of the gospel itself in every marriage. So our first thought must be, what is my upward trajectory 
look like? Is the direction of my marriage first looking up to God and seeking to glorify Him in my marriage? So the gospel orients our marriages upward, but it also orients our marriages outward. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're to be oriented upward and oriented outward in marriage. And we see this outward orientation in the commands of the husbands and the wives. The the wife's orientation, as we'll see, is is to come alongside and support her husband's spiritual leadership. She's she's not first thinking, okay, am I getting everything I want? Now that's important and we're going to talk about that. But but her first thought is, am I glorifying God? Am I doing this out of reverence for Christ? Am I walking out my marriage out of reverence for Christ? And then am I loving the person that Christ has given? me to love in my husband. And the husband's orientation should be to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And so he's oriented upward saying, Lord, I want to I wanna walk this out in a way that honors you. And the way that he walks that out is by loving his wife. And so his trajectory is upward and outward. Too many relationships and marriages in our world are the marriage of two black holes wondering why they're having a conflict, Right? When you have two people that come together and they're both seeking to take from one another and they kind of come into close proximity with one another, at, at worst, you're going to get an all-out war, right? Because it's like, I need this emotionally or I need this financially or I need this sexually and I'm going to, I need this. Why aren't you providing this? And the per, this person is oriented to taking and the other person is oriented to taking and it, it just it ends in chaos. At best... An orientation of marriage like that becomes nothing more than like a business swap or a business transactional. Okay, well, I'll provide these things for you and I'll go to your movie if you go to my movie, okay? I'll do your hobby if you come to my hobby. I'll do this if you'll do this for me. And in essence, you wake up every day and you don't, it'd be like putting on a suit, sitting with your wife in front of the kitchen table and and negotiating your life. Well, I really, I really feel like we need to give more of a priority to my sports hobbies. Well, I, you know, Bill, if I'm going to give you that, I'm going to need something in return. Like, and you just are swapping back and forth, and then you get to some kind of a deal. But at the end of the day, if you, even if you've successfully swapped all this stuff and worked out a business negotiation, the orientation is still the same. It's, it's me. I want. So I'll give you something, but I want something in return. See, marriage in Christ is radically different. It's upward so that it gets rid of those negotiations and those contracts to say, Lord, I want to glorify you in this marriage. That's my first priority. And what that looks like is orienting myself outward to the good of my spouse. Think about how different it would be if in the morning, instead of a business negotiation where you're trying to buy and sell and trade quantities in your marriage, you come to the table with a list of ways you're going to serve your spouse. And they come to the table with a list of ways they want to serve you. I would rather be at that meeting, right? I'd rather come up with, babe, I want to take you on a date. And I've been realizing you've been struggling with this. And so I want to help you with this. And she's coming with, you know what, babe, I want to serve you in this way. And I want to help you with this. And, and you're thinking, man, this is awesome. See, that's where we find our joy and happiness. That's, that's an upward and outward orientation to our marriages. Now, with that big idea, very briefly, I want to unpack four questions that come out of this passage. And the first question is probably this. How can differing roles make our marriage upward and outward? 
Now, I want to get into what the, you know, the wife and, and what, the, what the scripture says to her and what the husband's, you know, what the scripture says to her. And singles, don't check out because there's a section for you. All the singles simultaneously, like five minutes into this thing, were like, Facebook sounds good right now. So another Sunday, singleness Sunday, we're going to talk about marriage. Hang in there, guys. This really does apply to you guys and gals. This applies to you. But first, we have to ask a question that kind of trips us up as soon as we get into this, because this text is so controversial in in our day. Um, The question you may have on your mind is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yesterday was International Women's Day, right? Okay. And I, I, you know, I, I can't help but notice the wife is told to do some things and the husband is told to do other things. And why can't they be the same? Why can't the husband's things to do and the wife's things to do just be the same? Why aren't, we, why aren't we going for equality here? What's up with this outdated book? This is sexism. This is chauvinism. The roles shouldn't be different. They should be the same. Or maybe if you're, if you're a Christian, you're wondering, okay, I do see that there's somewhat of a difference in, in terms of what the wife's told to do and the husband's supposed to do, and we're going to get into what that looks like. But maybe your sincere question is, how does that actually glorify God? Wouldn't it be more glorifying to God for us to just be the same? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for a minute because I don't want that to trip you up. This is the truth that's kind of across scriptures. In many passages, in many places, differing roles reflect God and therefore glorify God. For some people to do one thing and some people to do another thing, that glorifies God because it reflects God. And here's what I mean by that. God himself is three distinct persons, right? Yet fully God. And yet every member of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they all have differing roles. They're not all exactly the same. The Father didn't come in the human flesh, right? The Father didn't walk the earth. He sent Christ. And so Christ walked the earth. But then Christ left, and he didn't send the Father, he sent the Spirit. And so you could look at the Trinity and go, okay, wait a minute. If I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm like, why am I last? So we got a lot of the Father, and then Jesus comes, and I'm like the, you know, I'm just the guy at the end. Oh, I'm leaving, but I'll give you the Holy Spirit, like thrown in there. And maybe God's like, well, I didn't even get to go to the earth. I I sent Jesus. I would like to go to the earth. And Jesus is like, well, I was the one that had to die, right? I mean, and and I, I don't know if my role is good and equal and valuable related to your others. Now, we don't see any of that in the Bible, do we? What we see is that the Trinity is perfectly equal in value. No one's going to argue that Jesus is less valuable than the Father, are they? No one's going to argue that the Spirit is less valuable than the Son. They're all fully God. And so when God creates, he creates not just one gender, but male and female. And what this means is this. God is so amazing that his image on the earth in humanity is is reflected in human beings, not in mono, but in stereo. You ever listen to an audio sound system where there's, it's a mono sound system, meaning that that's just one thing kind of coming out of the speakers. But then you go to a theater where it has what? Surround sound. And all of a sudden you can hear, oh man, there's a guitar over here and, and the drums are over here. Or if you're in a theater, you could hear somebody walking and then they walk and, and, and your ears are going, whoa, this is so real. This is so vivid. In essence, that's what God has done 
by creating male and female. His, his image can't be expressed adequately just with men or just with women. He gives both, both equal in value, but different to reflect himself. And these three persons of the Trinity that we're meant to reflect all love and glorify and bring glory to one another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son and the Father. The Spirit empowers the Son so that the Son glorifies the Father. Each member of the Trinity is full of self-giving love toward one another. So if we are to reflect God, it means that differing roles somehow in God's design better reflect him. And when we better reflect him, we better live our marriages and our lives in an upward, God-glorifying orientation. But I bet that's not really your problem, is it? And that's not your question. Your question is, how is, this word is so loaded in our culture, how does submitting to anyone actually help this? Okay, I get maybe men and women are different. They have kind of differences and that reflects God. But this submission thing, I have a major problem with that. Well, I'm going to give some qualifications, but listen to this. Submission, understood biblically, also reflects and glorifies God. Because in the Trinity, there is submission for the glory of God and the good of others. The Father very clearly sent the Son. And Jesus said that he does everything the Father tells him to do. And then the Son sent the Spirit. And all three are equal in value and in Godhood. The fact that the Father sent the Son does not demean the Son. Or the same thing with the Son and the Spirit. By submitting to one another as a trinity, they're, they're living in a way that we reflect when we submit to government authority, to church authority, to, to any type of authority, any difference in roles. We're living that out. Now, I want to be really clear right here about what submission in marriage is not because th th this teaching, sadly, has been completely marred and destroyed in many circles of the church over the years. And I want to be really, really clear about this. Submission in marriage, before I can tell you what it is, got to kind of unpack what it's not because it's so marred in our culture. The first thing it's not is it's never a statement of value or worth. Hear me when I say this, guys. Your wife is not worth less than you are, less valuable than you are, not somehow lesser in any way. It was a travesty that for in many cultures and across many centuries, women were treated as if they were less valuable than men. And that was, that's abhorrent and disgusting to the God of the Bible. Every human being is made in God's image and endowed with dignity and value and worth, which is why Paul says in one of his there's letters that there is in Christ no male or female in a sense, meaning that Jesus died for men just as he died for women. One is not more saved than another. One is not brought into a greater position of prominence by the death and resurrection of Christ than the other. It is never a statement of value and worth. And husbands, let me just say this. If you're treating your wife as less valuable than you are in your marriage, I don't care what scripture you're using, stop it. It is disgusting and abhorrent to the God of the Bible. 
But second, submission in marriage is never a general command for all women to submit to all men. Okay, sometimes the, the, the teaching of scripture has gotten a little wonky in some circles to where, okay, all, all women just submit to all men. So if a guy's in the room, all the ladies just need to, okay, yes, sir, whatever you say to do. No, <laughs> That's, the Bible never says that. So that would be a perversion of biblical teaching. This is specifically talking about the marriage relationship, not just in general. Second, I mean, third, submission to marriage is never only one party submitting. Hear this, when the, woman, when the wife is, is, when submission is brought up in relation to the wife, she is not the only one submitting. Biblically, every Christian is under authority, whether they're married or single or male or female. All are submitted to Christ and his word first and foremost. So that, that, that means that everybody, regardless of whether they're married or not, single or not, are submitted to Christ and his word. And practically, we are all submitted, Romans 13 says, to the governing authorities God had placed in our lives. So we're all submitted to the government that God has placed. So that means, guys, you're not only under the authority of Christ and his word, you're under the authority of the government. That's placed there for your good and you're submitting and you should submit. That's why you need to file your taxes, right? It's practically important. Now, we are also submitted to the church as Christians, to the elders of the church, to the congregation of a church. That's why we, as human beings, when we join a church, we're giving the church permission to get in our face if we start doing damage to the cause of Christ. If we start living in a way that contradicts the teaching of Scripture, we're under authority. So when the, the wife is, is encouraged to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, we're going to talk about what that means, but it doesn't mean she is the only one submitting, which practically, this is fourth, submission to marriage is never an excuse for abuse. Abuse from one party to the other, but often in our culture from the husband to a wife is a perversion of everything in the Bible. And this is where this comes into play. If a woman is being abused, and even if you're here today and somehow you're being abused, you should immediately call on the authorities in your husband's life, starting with the police. When I talk about your husband being under authority, this is real practical, okay? It means if you're being abused, God's put authorities in his life so that you call them and bring them to bear to exercise their God-given role. Practically, if your husband is in a pattern of unrepentant sin, it means you talk to your pastors. You talk to the church. You, you, you bring the church to bear to try to help your husband. It means that the guy, if a guy is abusive, he needs to submit to his government and submit to his church and submit to individual Christians that come to him with the teaching of Scripture. So submission in marriage is never, never, never an excuse for abuse. And this is hard, guys, because in general, America is a culture of business, okay? And our conceptions of roles often come from business. And we think of differing roles in relationship to that as, as a CEO and an employee. We're used to org charts where the people at the top of the org chart are paid better and are, let's face it, to the company more valuable, right? If if for some reason that person at the top of the org chart's having an off day, then the business shuts down for a little while. 
And so when we think of submission or differences in value or differences in role, we think, hey, then you must be talking about a CEO kind of business relationship. The husband's the CEO, the wife's the employee. And they're different in value and different in role. But that's not true. Because according to scripture, there is no difference in value despite there being a difference in role. Now, this is not a good example, but I don't have a good human example of this. But a better example would be if you're at a law firm, it's not one person's the head lawyer and one person's a paralegal. In a law firm, you'd have partners, but one partner is the senior partner and kind of has steering duties in the company. I mean, in the firm. But they're all equal in value and probably equal in pay in many cases. Or a board where all are equal, but there is a chairman. And, and that's not exactly, don't, don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying your, husband, you know, your marriage is like a boardroom or like a law firm. I'm, I'm trying to get at this, that there is no difference in value, but there is a difference in role. One commentator says this, and he answers the question about whether Paul was just conforming to cultural practices. P.T. O'Brien, a commentator, says this, they all have their own calling before the Lord, which is responsible, honorable, and important as that of a husband or parent or, or master. The Lord to whom everything is done is impartial. And slaves and masters, for example, are equally responsible meaning bond servants, as we'll talk about next week. Those in authority have different roles, but they are not better roles. The value, dignity, or worth of the members of a Christian household in one position is no less than that of those in the other position. So, with that in mind, let's jump into the second question. Okay, so if... if Differing roles glorify God. They allow us to live our marriages upward and outward. How can a husband live his marriage upward and outward? And I may only get to this, but that might be okay. Notice that the husband is not, listen to this. This is so good, guys. The husband is not exhorted to exercise his authority. You think that based on, okay, the wife, you know, be submitted to your own husbands, that the first thing for the husband to do is, okay, husbands, do, you know, exercise your authority. No, what, what he's exhorted to do as a husband is actually to exercise his love. And actually, the command of the husband may seem, okay, well, that seems easy. I mean, just the wife has to do these things and you're just commanded to love, you know? It's just, you're like, hey, that sounds easy, you know? And hey, you're gonna to need to do this, but, but I'm loving you, you know? I, 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 I bought you flowers, and so that's pretty much the rest of my, my role, and I'm good. Love is not in this passage spoken of primarily as an emotion, but primarily as an exercise of will, okay? Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. It's a question for the ages, and sadly, existentialism has crept into the body of Christ. So where can we find the answer to these sorts of questions? Thankfully, our identity in Christ is clear in the scriptures. Pastor Ricky will explore this topic as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. 
You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to a computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number here at the church is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this coming Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study and fellowship and even prayer. For more information, including driving directions, log on to betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The music that you hear each day on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. We invite you to visit their website, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Who Am I? from the book of Ephesians. That's next time on Better News Radio.